Soundprints Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Soundprints is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushevel. I'm your host for this week's magazine. This is Soundprints for the week of September 19, 2015. First this week, we want to remind you about new phone numbers and email addresses. The ACB radio phone number has changed to 605-475-8130, and the phone number for the ACB Braille Forum, the ACB eForum, and ACB Reports is now 605-475-8154. Also, KCB's email address has changed. It is now kcb at kentucky-acb.org or info at kentucky-acb.org. With this change in the KCB email address, we will no longer be airing the Kentucky Council of the Blind promo that Patty Cox and I recorded many years ago in the Clear Channel Studios in the days when Soundprints was a radio program on WKJK 1080 AM here in Louisville. This truly marks the end of an era because we now are not using any pre-recorded items in Soundprints that were created at Clear Channel during the time that we were on the air there between May 2002 and May 2013. Soundprints is now available by podcast at kentucky-acb.org slash soundprints.xml to your favorite device to hear the show. You may have to add it manually, so give it a try and it will work for you. You will also find Soundprints archives back to January 2013 by podcast and from the Soundprints page on our website at kentucky-acb.org. The Greater Louisville Council of the Blind held its fall quarterly meeting this week at United Crescent Hill Ministries. Mark Howell, the new executive director at UCHM, and Chuck Rogers, a disability rights advocate and candidate for a district court judgeship, were our speakers. Forty-one people were in attendance. Michelle Haycraft was elected second vice president of GLCB. The office became vacant when Libby Cook resigned due to increased demands on her time by her new job at the Census Bureau. KCB's Next Generation chapter sold drawing tickets on a basket of delicious homemade goodies donated by Amanda Selms' family. Michelle Haycraft was the lucky winner, and Next Generation raised $85, which they planned to use toward the assistance of a first-timer in the under-40 age group to attend the upcoming KCB convention in November. The Greater Louisville Council of the Blind's popular bargain table was open for business about 30 minutes before the meeting, and attendees snapped up new and gently used items, and GLCB raised $159 that will be used to support our Friday roundabout programs. The food was delicious. We enjoyed fried chicken, mac and cheese, green beans, and a choice of lemon, vanilla, or socket to me cake for dessert. 
Thanks to Patty and David Cox, Michelle Haycraft, Wendy Stepro, and Gail Lamberson for making the dinner a big success. Being ACB president is almost a full-time job. The ACB president participates on many committees and boards, and many, many phone calls come in at all hours of the day and evening. Sometimes the ACB president participates in international activities, either as a representative of ACB or in some other capacity. Kim Charlson has a long history of involvement with boards and councils that promote the use of Braille, and as a member of one such board in the World Blind Union, she and her husband Brian recently traveled to Brazil. Listen on page 2 as Kim tells us about her trip to South America. On September 3, there was a very significant ruling from a Washington, D.C. judge in Eric Bridges and ACB's lawsuit against four D.C. cab companies concerning their discrimination against blind people with guide dogs. This week, an explanation of that ruling was posted to the ACB lists, and Melanie Brunson explains the huge significance of parts of this ruling on page 3. Be sure and listen. It is a fascinating turn of events. Our historical segment this week comes from the 1981 ACB National Convention in St. Louis. Oral Miller, who is, of course, originally from Ashland, Kentucky, was the ACB president at the time, and many KCB members were at that convention. On page 4, you will hear a short excerpt from a speech given by William Gallagher, then president of the American Foundation for the Blind. Mr. Gallagher points out that at that time, blind women were noticeably absent from leadership positions within the blind community. We thought this would be an interesting segment, since both Kim Charlson, ACB's first woman president, and Melanie Brunson, ACB's first woman executive director, are guests in this issue of Soundprints. Mr. Gallagher also mentions that no blind woman had, up to that time, been president of either the American Association of Workers for the Blind, AAWB, or the Association for the Education of the Visually Handicapped, AEVH. These organizations were predecessors of AER, the Association for the Education and Rehabilitation of the Blind and Visually Impaired. We are pleased to note that Dr. Sandra Rukinich now... ACB representative to the Braille Authority of North America, served as AER president several years ago. Be sure to catch the snippet of history on page 4. And on page 5 is the Soundprints calendar. Page 2. I'm speaking with Kim Charlson, president of the American Council of the Blind, and today we're going to talk about something that's been a lot of fun. And that is Kim and Brian just recently took a trip to Brazil. Kim, welcome back to the United States and uh, welcome to Soundprints. Thank you very much. Well, I was in um, Sao Paulo, Brazil. Mm -hmm. And that's in the southern part of Brazil because most of the time when you think of Brazil, you think of the Amazon and the jungle, and I did not realize how huge Brazil is as a country. It's, it's fairly narrow, but it's very long. It's over 4,000 miles from the northern part to the southern part. Oh, my so, goodness. Sao Paulo, Brazil is in the southern part. So it was, um, of course, it's in the southern hemisphere, 
So it's the end of winter starting towards spring Mm -hmm. in Brazil right now. Mm -hmm. And the weather was really quite nice. It was maybe around 75 to 80 every single day. They had a couple rainy days while we were there. They weren't downpours. They were more like misty kind of rainy days. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was still warm, so temperature was really nice. So I went to Brazil, and Brian Brian said, I'm going on vacation. So he was on <laughs> vacation. I had a couple days of work mm-hmm. associated with the trip mm-hmm. because um, it was for the World Braille Council, which is a body of the World Blind Union. Okay. And I represent North America, which includes the United States, Canada, and the Caribbean um, on the World Blind Union. So there are members of the World Braille Council from seven the seven different regions of the World Blind Union. And um, there were about seven people. We had a, a representative from Africa. We had one from um, Europe, South America, um, India, which I think is Asia- Asian mm-hmm. re- region, and mm-hmm. um, myself, and then someone, the chair of the World Braille Council is from uh, Denmark, and then we also had the president of the World Blind Union, Art Holt, and he's from Norway, so it was it was a good meeting. Um, so what does, what does the World Braille Council talk about? Uh, yes. When we get together, well, we talk about Braille code issues, which is often what Braille bodies like this talk about, but mm-hmm. we also talk about promotion of Braille throughout the world. Um, we're develop- we just finished developing a whole compilation of research on Braille and Braille literacy that's been posted to the w- website of the World Blind Union. It's a 180-page document listing all the different research studies and things like that associated with Braille and Braille reading, and we were quite surprised there was so much. So Mm -hmm. um, the Spanish folks are going to compile a Spanish bibliography as well, and and then we also talked about a position paper relating to Braille and technology, because a lot of the other countries are experiencing a phenomenon that um, we've been having issues with for several years, and that's kind of the the argument from school administrators that, you know, well, if we get the student an iPad, then he'll have all the technology he needs, and they forget about Braille and a Braille display and teaching Braille and all those things. So unfortunately, those same kind of arguments are appearing in mm. um, other parts of the world uh-huh. where we thought, Braille literacy was pretty solid, and we thought we were the only ones having those kind of problems. <laughs> Unfortunately, we're not. So so there's a lot of um, documentation and kind of helping to frame the, the discussion about the importance of Braille and refreshable Braille display and the affordability of Braille displays, and that was kind of what we spent our time on for a couple days. So, How uh, often it does it meet, meeting. Kim? Um, there were quite a few people there, but, you know, the good part, <laughs> once I was done with my work, mm-hmm. was we got to explore a little bit of Brazil, 
and that was really, really nice. Mm-hmm. I really liked Brazil. It's it's right up there as one of the favorite places that I've been to in, in my travels. I, I definitely enjoyed it. And I um, one thing that might be of interest to listeners is that I took my guide dog, Dolly, with mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. So the trip was about 13 hours of flying time. So you know that mm. really means more like maybe 16 hours because yeah, yeah. we flew from Boston to Atlanta. And then in Atlanta, we changed planes to a, a direct flight from Atlanta to Sao Paulo, Brazil. Oh, my goodness. Um, and that was a 10-hour flight. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the big question when you have a guide dog, and everybody's like, what do you do? How do you, yeah. when do you, when do you take her out? Where does she go? <laughs> you can't very well take her out on the wing. <laughs> exactly. So um, so in Atlanta, we were able to take her out there. And then basically, we, you know, when we got back and the flight got on the plane, it was, it was kind of like flying all night. We, we ended up leaving um, Atlanta at about um, nine o'clock in the evening. And then we, arrived in brazil and it was 6 a.m okay brazil is in the atlantic time zone so that's one hour ahead of eastern time so the time there wasn't a huge time change it's just that you're you know up all night on an airplane it's ahead it's ahead of eastern time it is Mm -hmm. boy my south american geography is lousy it's it's i mean i thought it would have been a lot more but it's it's very much north-south from from the East Coast. So there's not very much. It's a little southeast, um, but oh. it's way down <laughs> on the southern hemisphere. So, so 13 flying hours. Um, Dolly went, and I have to say that they um, they really they know what guide dogs are in Brazil. They do have a lot of blind people that use guide dogs. Most of the population get their dogs from U.S.-based training schools. Oh. And they go back. Um, I met a couple people who had dogs from Leader and really? guide dogs for the blind and, and a variety of places. And they do have one guide dog training school in Brazil. So everybody doesn't have to go to the U.S., but a lot of people seem to like to. <laughs> what so, an excuse for a trip, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, so the... The people are very, um, I would kind of describe them as very cosmopolitan. They, they just seem to, to accept dogs in stride. Nobody ever told me I couldn't go into a restaurant or a shop. or I never had a cab driver who said, no, you can't get in my cab. Mm. I felt bad one time um, I was going to get in the back of the cab behind the driver, and, and he started tugging on the leash, and I thought, because, of course, they speak Portuguese in Brazil, and I'm not very good at Portuguese. So <laughs> I thought he was trying to say, no, you can't ride in my cab. So the shopkeeper that we had just been shopping at spoke English, and she came out and she said, oh, no, no, he wants you to sit in the front seat because there's more room for your dog. Oh. So I got in, and he goes, see? And, you know, we fit very nicely. I smiled, and I said, thank you, you know, because... <laughs> I just was so surprised. I thought he was telling me, no, I don't want you. And instead he was trying to give me a better seat, you know. Right. So everybody was 
just so accommodating, and it was just great. One thing I noticed about accessibility, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't see a lot of Braille signs or things like that, but one thing I did see was um, detectable warnings, you know, the bumps on, yeah, yeah. on the curb cuts mm -hmm. or the subway platform. Um, where, wherever we were traveling, they, they would show up on curb, curb ramps sometimes, but they also show up at the top and the bottom of escalators. Oh, and the that's top be and nice. the bottom of ramps, like in an mm -hmm. airport, when you're walking down the concourse, there'll be like a long sloped ramp. Mm -hmm. They put detectable warnings at the top and the bottom of those. Wow. And I, I thought that was kind of interesting because sometimes you do, you know, you're walking along and then you step and there was like a slope and you didn't catch it. And it's like, whoa, you know, you, it's a little jarring sometimes, but, mm -hmm. um, but I can understand that, and I have seen that in other countries where they use a detectable warning at the bottom and the top of an escalator. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we don't do that in the U.S., so I, I noticed it, and it, it's very consistent there. They're very conscientious of that. We have a hard time being consistent anywhere when it comes to detectable <laughs> warnings. True. I didn't, I didn't see any uh, audible pedestrian signals or anything mm. like that, but I did have an opportunity to visit... Um, the Agency for the Blind. It's called the Dor Dorina Norwell um, Foundation for the Blind. And Dorina was um, a woman who was blind. And um, she just passed away in 2010, and she was about, I think, 94 years old. In, in, two, in um, 1946, she started a foundation because there were no services at all for people who are blind in Brazil. Mm -hmm. And she worked her entire life at that foundation to, to make it possible for you know, children to be educated and to, have, to learn how to get around independently. They have um, classes. They have a recording studio and a library service. It was, um, it was very, um, very well funded. And um, it's, you know, what a legacy. Um, she was involved in the early days of the World Blind Union herself mm. and was a leader in the organization. Mm -hmm. um, so it was, uh, it was impressive to see the, um, the work that, you know, her legacy, basically, of a very strong agency for the blind that does a lot of work for people who are blind in Brazil. Blind people seem to be continuously interested in all the good kinds of, of food or the uh, <laughs> the unique things that are um, the, you know the desserts and those kinds of things mm -hmm. did was was there anything that stood out um, you know when 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 you went to the like various restaurants mm -hmm. or any particular um, you know touristy kind of thing yeah. that you really yeah. enjoyed? The um, the food was phenomenal there. It um, it's it's a very very um, it's a culture that really likes their their meat. Mm. Um, and you probably heard that you know they talk about Brazilian barbecue and steak. And um, I had more steak in one week than I've probably had in, in <laughs> decades. <laughs> but it was fabulous steak. I mean, it was not just run-of-the-mill. It was really, really good steak. Mm -hmm. 
they like their potatoes. Um, they cook it lots of different ways, from whipped to baked to au gratin. I mean, any kind of way you can fix a potato. French fries, they love potatoes. <laughs> they like their rice. Um, mm-hmm. They're not too big on vegetables or salad or things like that. They like meat and potatoes. Mm-hmm. Um, they also like pastries. And, um, oh, that's a good thing. Kind of meat, <laughs> meat pastries. Mm-hmm. So you probably heard of empanadas. That's something oh, yes. that's you know, a little pastry with meat filling. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had some of those quite often. They were a great little snack at midday when you, you know, wanted to have something. So we'd have a, a little meat pie, and those were really good. Um, as you can imagine, they, um, they are very good with things like custards, flan, um, absolutely fabulous, and, and again with the baked goods. My favorite dessert at one of the restaurants we was close to our hotel was a fresh strawberry pie, and mm. it was so good. It was a shortbread crust, and it had just like half strawberries that just tasted like the strawberries I remember when I was a little kid with lots of flavor and not like the hothouse strawberries right. that we eat these days, you know, they just... Tons of flavor. Everything tasted so good and like it had just come in from the farm. And, in fact, Brian, um, one day when I was um, at one of my meetings, he went to the municipal market and mm. because he's a he's a foodie. And oh, yeah. He, uh, <laughs> he likes to see, you know, where, where food comes from. So he got to see all kinds of fruits and vegetables and, and you know, kind of look at different vegetables and fruits he'd never seen. He brought me an orange from the food market, and I swear it was the size of a softball. It was oh, huge. Oh I, my goodness. I don't think I've ever seen an orange that big, and it was it peeled like a, like a tangerine. You know, it had a loose peel. It was really easy to peel it, um, and then, you know, the orange was, was quite large, mm-hmm. very good. Um, they like melons, they watermelon, um, fruit juices. This was interesting. Fruit juices in the morning when we'd have breakfast, they'd have a, a pineapple blend, and they'd put things like pineapple and ginger juice. Ooh. And so it was like it had ginger in the juice. They had mint, pineapple mint juice. Ooh, now I think um, that'd be good. They had a watermelon juice. No, which I, which I tried, and I think they might have just blended the whole watermelon because it kind of tasted like the rind to me. But <laughs> <laughs> um, and they had cashew juice. Oh my! So I didn't know until Brian told me that cashew is actually the the nut that we eat is actually a fruit, and um, but you can't get both the nut and the fruit. So you have to either, you know, you have to decide are you if you're going to let the the plant go to nut and get the cashew out of it, then that's what you get. But but they do use a lot of the cashew fruit and they make juice out of it and it it didn't taste at all like a cashew nut. It kind of tasted like like very thin thinned down orange juice. Huh. Um is the cashew fruit. So that was kind of interesting, and, and they have their bacon is more like what you might think of with Canadian bacon, quite mm-hmm. thick, mm-hmm. meaty, um, not traditional U.S. bacon. 
Um, and they like sandwiches, and they, they like hamburgers. So a lot of the food was very familiar. It wasn't unusual at all. Um, but it, you know, it had different flavors and different sauces. They like spicy sauces, but they don't cook the meal with the sauces. They put them on the table in bottles or in dishes, and you can add them to your meal. Huh. So, wow. yeah. Well, now what were some of the places that you visited that when you were just out doing your thing, having fun? Well, um, we did we did shopping. We went to um, a really nice um, kind of um, uh, you know craft shop. We like to go mm -hmm. look at um, crafts from you know the indigenous people of, right. of the area. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we we brought back some coasters that were made from some kind of grass in the in the Amazon region hmm. and they're woven and dried and they turn a, a, a vivid gold color um, they were beautiful and like one of the last things I touched in the in the shop and this was even after I paid the bill and then I touched this set of coasters and I just got a couple new end tables in my living room mm -hmm. so I was very focused on coasters because mm -hmm. I, I wanted to bring coasters back that everybody's going to use so it keeps my new tables nice and pretty you know right so so um they were agate they were sliced <gasps> agate coasters oh my goodness and they were beautiful and they felt so they were polished and smooth and so i just said brian we have to buy these and so oh, i guess they use their currency is the um the real the brazilian real mm -hmm. and we were quite fortunate because the exchange the exchange rate is is really good right now. The dollar is very strong, and it was almost a four to one ratio: four reals, which are their kind of equivalent to the dollar, mm -hmm. to one U.S. dollar. Mm. So our U.S. dollars went quite a long ways in Brazil. Um, so, and then you, when you travel internationally, it's always better to you know use your credit card as much as possible because then you get the the, the better exchange rate for your for your purchases oh. and things. Okay. So. Mm -hmm. Well, it sounds like it was a wonderful trip, an absolutely fantastic trip. You, you know, you were gone for a whole week. It had to be just great. And um, that, I mean, just all that, you know, the food and the different cultures. And I, I would have liked the craft shops, too. Yeah, I exactly. love the craft shops. <laughs> they were a lot of fun. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, they now, have malls there just like our malls. Mm -hmm. You know, they're nothing different. The same kind of stores. You know, I like to go to the places that are unique right. to, right. to a, a city. Or, um, you know, we went on a, a private um, tour the first day we were there. And it was it was in a kind of a little Jeep SUV. And... Um, our guide spoke very good English, and he, you know, he drove us all over the city because Sao Paulo is, I think, the fifth largest city in the world. The city proper has 12 million people, oh, and goodness. then you have the suburbs mm -hmm. that have another um, 10 million people. Oh, good heavens! So it's huge. The whole, you know, metropolitan area is over 20 million people. Oh my! So it's, it didn't feel like it was just wall-to-wall -wall people but they have <laughs> you know apartment buildings high-rise apartment buildings yeah. everywhere if you've yeah. got that many people you've you got to put them someplace to, put them somewhere <laughs> yeah. so there's just apartment buildings everywhere how often does the uh, world blind council meet 
they usually try to meet face-to-face every other year. Mm-hmm. So, um, so where's your next trip? Well, we don't know because um, we're also appointed for a four-year term that coincides with the term of the president of the World Blind Union. Mm-hmm. And the fourth year of the quadrennial is, is about to happen in 2015-2016. Okay. And in fact, the World Blind Union will be meeting in August of 2016 in the United States. It's the first time they've ever met in the U.S., and we'll be meeting in Orlando, Florida next August. So oh, okay. at that time, the entire organization, which is about 1,500 delegates from 140 different countries, will gather in Orlando to conduct the business of the World Blind Union. And the World Braille Council will... Um, submit their final report for this quadrennial, the four-year period, and then um, a new chair will be appointed and new members will be appointed from the different regions. So mm-hmm. I may continue to represent the U.S. and, and Canada, and they might, they might have someone else they want to do that. So mm-hmm. I was very fortunate to be able to attend the meeting in Brazil. Our next meeting will be a teleconference meeting sometime in February or March before mm-hmm. the uh, the August meeting in, in 2016. Well, that it just really sounds very interesting. I'd be curious to know how you have a teleconference meeting with so many different languages. Is we, that an um, issue? People, most people speak English. Our, okay. our South American delegate, mm-hmm. She actually has a translator with her on the call, mm-hmm. so we have to, you know, take the time to, to speak and then let the translator catch up mm-hmm. when we're talking on the teleconference call. So, um, but most other delegates that, um, and we usually have our meetings when we have teleconference meetings around 8.30 Eastern time. Mm-hmm. That would be like 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon um, in, in Europe. And the toughest folks to get on the calls are usually people in China or Mm -hmm. or um, Australia because that's like 15, 16 hour time difference. So it's 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 a challenge. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, very much appreciate you being with us and telling us about the trip. It just sounds really, really fabulous. Well, I will have to say, my concept of Brazil was certainly not what you described. <laughs> to me, right. it's all jungle and Amazon Next time forest. I, go back, <laughs> I hope to go to the other, the northern part of Brazil yeah. and experience yeah. the jungle and, mm-hmm. you know, Rio. They're they're going to hold the Olympics, the Summer Olympics next year in Rio. Right. That's about an hour um, north of São Paulo, so it's also in the more arid part of Brazil, not in the desert. I mean, not in the the jungle yeah. portion. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yep. Well, it's just that that's amazing. Thank you so well, much for you. talking to us about this and we are however we are very glad to have you back. Thank you very <laughs> much. Find books and more in accessible media with APH's free of charge Louis database. HTTP colon slash slash L O U I S dot APH dot org. Locate accessible educational materials from nearly two hundred different agencies. APH products and textbooks can also be located using Louis. New extended searching now available with free Louis Plus. 
Visit soon. HTTP colon slash slash L-O-U-I-S dot A-P-H dot org. Many book materials help Braille users jot notes quickly. Pull APH's mini-book Braille binder out of your pocket and begin to write on the mini-book slate in just seconds. Materials are sold separately so that you can choose the combination that's right for you. Call the American Printing House for the Blind, toll-free, 800-223-1839, or visit www.aph.org. Page 3. We have as a guest again this week, Melanie Brunson, who is the Executive Director of the American Council of the Blind. And last week, Melanie, we talked about the upcoming retirement, but you're not retired yet, so not here you yet. are again. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to be back one more time. Well, this week we have something really good to talk about, and that is an explanation of some uh, of, a, of a court do I call it a position, a ruling? A uh, ruling. A ruling that came, uh, that was handed down, of what, September 3. Mm -hmm. uh, but we had a wonderful explanation of what it meant this past week, just a couple of days ago, on our leadership list. And so um, I was wondering if you could please talk to us about this significant ruling. This has to do with the um, court case that ACB and Eric Bridges has filed in the D.C. area against some taxi companies because they chose not to pick you and Eric up with guide dogs a few couple of years ago. That's correct. Yeah, so tell us about this ruling and why it is so important. Okay, yeah, it is It is a great victory. We were really excited by the comprehensive nature of the decision when it came down. There were four taxi companies involved, and they tried to find all kinds of reasons, essentially to ask the court to dismiss the case that we had filed. And there were five claims, major claims that they had made. The first one was, well, that we could, we had not demonstrated that in the future, um, Eric, Eric was 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 um, the person who filed a claim against all of these companies with the Office of Human Rights for the Washington, uh, dis, uh, the District of Columbia. Mm -hmm. That, and we file, he filed a claim against the companies under the, uh, the Washington Human Rights Act. And also, when we got to court, so we filed um, for violation of that law, also for violation of the Americans with Disabilities Act. And ACB joined in the, the case to support Eric's claim of discrimination. And we joined in basically on behalf of Eric Bridges, as well as any of our other members who might want to use DC cabs in the future. Mm -hmm. And so the cab companies asked the court to dismiss the claim, basically saying that one of the things that we did not demonstrate and should have was that we intended to use these particular cab companies in the future and that they discriminate. And the court said, wait a minute, there's enough discrimination proven here. You don't have to show 
that you intended to use those particular cab companies. That's mm-hmm. not required because we there's enough evidence just accompanying the filing to demonstrate that there's widespread discrimination by at least these companies. <laughs> okay. The other the other thing that they wanted to convince the court of was that we didn't prove that they had discriminated against Eric by failing to pick him up just because he was blind and because he had a service dog. Mm-hmm. Well, it didn't take them more than 50 yards to pick up another person who was A, not blind, and B, did not have a service dog. Mm-hmm. In every other respect, they both people were males, both people were in about the same age range. Mm-hmm. So they were even um, probably looked similar. So mm-hmm. it um, it was obvious from the fact that of the tape, we, we did this demonstration, this case, we filed this case as the result of a, um, a video that was shot by television news crews that both Eric and I went out with separately, and they filmed each of us trying to hail cabs. Mm-hmm. And they caught four different cab drivers from four different companies on film passing Eric by and picking up then a sighted man who was stationed several yards away down the street. Mm-hmm. And so the video was submitted as evidence accompanying our case. Imagine that. Yes. (laughs) And the the court said, you got to be kidding. Don't try to tell me this. This is not a good claim. Of Mm -hmm. course, they they, uh, failed to pick him up because of his service dog and because he was blind. Mm -hmm. So um, there was also some claims about both of us in terms of both ACB and Eric and our right to sue in the first place. They tried, when you file such cases, you're supposed to file the case within a year of the incident. Well, there was a, uh, there is also a requirement, though, that you file with uh, a complaint with the D.C. Office of Human Rights first and before you can sue, and they need to try to resolve it. Well, that claim was filed well within a year mm-hmm. of the of the incident, mm-hmm. and so the judge held that that was sufficient to give Eric standing to file the lawsuit. He did not violate what's called the statute of limitations. Mm-hmm. And... Then they said that not only did Eric not file, but they, but ACB did not file a claim within the time that is allowed by law. Right. And the court said, which was, the, for me as an attorney, the coolest part of this, resol- this, uh, this ruling was that the court held that ACB does not have to file a claim within a year as long as one of our members does. And we can then sort of piggyback on their claim and file a a suit with the court on behalf of that member and all of our other members. That could have a huge implication. 
It does. Yeah. For, for all kinds of discrimination cases nationwide, really, mm-hmm. that, um, that, a, that an organization might want to get involved in. Because mm-hmm. this, is, this is a, a federal, um, this is a big deal. Yeah. In a discrimination case, this might be, according to our attorneys, the first time a court has made such a determination. Mm-hmm. And then the final thing that the judge said was that even if our claims for violation of the D.C. Human Rights Law and the Americans with Disabilities Act were invalid, we still had a claim, a very valid claim for negligence on behalf of on the part of these companies because they failed to supervise to hire and supervise drivers who knew the law. Oh. Well, that's great too. It, it is. This is this is we have had a really good a really good uh, month of September here, Melanie. We have. It's been this is this is um the best we could have hoped for and more really, in terms of what the judge found in, yeah. in this case. Yeah. Um, at the bottom of the summary that was, that was posted on leadership, it says, in sum, this is a complete victory on these motions. Mm-hmm. And it says, we will now move to discovery um, with all of our claims um, alive and intact. This decision will also have um, prece- presidential uh, effect on future discrimination cases, and I mean, of what what more could you hope for at this, that, this right. level? I mean, usually we get things that say, "Well, um, you know, we we got this, we got A, and we got B, but we didn't get C that we mm-hmm. really wanted," or or well, D has a little problem with it here, but it, all, all in all, we did well. Mm-hmm. But for us to get something with five points and be able to say all five points are, are, are great and the best we could have hoped for is, is amazing. It really is. I mean, and, you know, a lot of times judges don't even bother to give their reasons for failing, right. for they denying just, a motion. Yeah, they just do it. They just say denied. Yeah. So this was uh, above and beyond really what anything we we could have hoped for in yeah. terms of a decision by the I understand the, the original decision was like 21 pages. Mm-hmm. That should tell them something. It, I, I <laughs> think so, too. A message, you know, to the cab companies that with if the judge wrote 21 pages on mm-hmm. something where he could have just said denied, right. that ought to give them some concept of what could be coming in the future. I believe that's a very accurate assessment of the message that this court wanted to send. Yeah, yeah. Yes, if someone sent me 21 pages of, on something where they could have said one word and let it be done, I think I would take some note of that. So. I mean, keep in mind, we haven't even been to trial yet. This was <laughs> no. just their first shot across the vow. Yeah. So, so now, the, um, if I were their attorneys, I'd be really kind of worried about yes. the possibility of going to trial. Right, right. Yep. Well, we sure appreciate you talking with us about this. We've also had a good week and that we got the um, Alice Cogswell and Sullivan Macy Act is now reintroduced into Congress and that's good news. The bill is 3535 is its number in the House and we'll be talking more about that hopefully in the next week or two as well. Um, But this this case here is um, 
this this is just really I, I felt this was very newsworthy this week so we appreciate you taking the time on a Friday afternoon to talk with us well it's my pleasure because this is a really exciting development and and I'm really pleased by by this decision page four the next voice you hear is that of William Gallagher then president of the American Foundation for the Blind, as he addresses the 20th annual ACB convention in St. Louis in 1981. One other special interest that we have, and it seems to be a pet project with me, I have a feeling that we're a little bit male chauvinistic in the blind system, that we have not done enough for women who have lost their sight. For many years, we have maybe tried to put the person into a secretarial position or maybe say, we'll give you a few pots and pans and maybe a little braille and we'll close the case as a homemaker. Uh, if we take a look through the blind system, how many professional women are blind are carrying out leading positions in the field of blindness? State directors in, in the country state directors of agencies, there are only five women. Only one person is blind of the five women, and this is the first time in the history that a woman who is blind is the state director of an agency for the blind. One woman who is the head of a private agency for the blind, and she had to start her own program. State vision consultants, very few, we also know that there are very few women who are professionals that carry in key roles as far as consumer groups. You know that here with ACB, you know it with some of the other organizations. We know it with the American Association of Workers for the Blind, AEVH. Never did we see a woman who was without sight carry the position of president or executive director. And as we look at AFB, we do not at the present time have a professional person, a woman who is blind on our staff. I hope to correct this in the very, very near future. <clears throat> I hope also if we can have some management training sessions for women who are blind so that they can move up into supervisory positions middle management and top management, and I will see that we'll do some workshops and maybe we could work with ACB on this to help this situation. <clears throat> when was the last time, you can tell this is one of my pet projects, when was the last time did uh, the American Foundation the Miguel Award ever give the award to a woman who is blind? The Shotwell Award from AAWB, the last time, 1951, to Helen Keller. So I must say that we have neglected women who are blind in the blind system. I feel that we should listen to John Lennon when he said, let's give peace a chance. Peace be with you, and thank you very much for listening to me. Page 5. The Sound Prince Calendar. Most conference calls listed on this calendar are held at the following number, 
605-475-6006, and the code is 294444. The address of the Bluegrass Council office is 1093 South Broadway in Lexington, and their phone number is 859-259-1834. The Greater Louisville Council of the Blind holds most activities at the United Crescent Hill Ministries at 150 South State Street in Louisville. Call GLCB at 502-895-4598 or email louisville at kentucky-acb.org. On September 24, the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired will have a booth at the annual Senior Day Out in Owensboro, 8.30 a.m. to 2 p.m., Visit the Savvy Booth at the Regional Senior Citizen Activity at Town Square Mall in Owensboro. On September 24, the Statewide Rehabilitation Council will have its meeting from 9.30 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. at the Charles McDowell Center, 8412 Westport Road in Louisville. Contact Jennifer Wright at 502-564-4754. On September 25, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will have its next Friday event, Education and Technology, 3.30 to 6 p.m., including a presentation on skin care, dinner, six fifteen five dollars $5 per person, bingo, 7 to 9 p.m., $2 per person, and cards and crafts beginning at 7. All activities will conclude by 10 at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. On September 27, the Guide Dog Users of Kentucky invite you to lunch and a walk at Oxmoor Mall from 2 to 4 p.m. Enjoy lunch at either the California Pizza Company or Panera Bread and then walk around the mall to walk off all those calories. Call GDUKY President Deb Lewis at 502 721-9129 for details. Also on September 27, ACB Families will hold its next board meeting at 9 p.m. at the conference call number 605-475-6333, enter code 1711553. On September 28, the Bluegrass Council of the Blind will have its quarterly business meeting. 4 to 7 p.m. at the BCB office. This will include elections with dinner to follow. On September 28, Guide Dog Users of Kentucky will have their membership conference call at 7 p.m. on the conference line. Looking ahead to October, the ACB Lions will have its next membership call on October 1, This is a conference call meeting for all blind lions around the country. The time is 9 p.m. and the number is 712-432-3900, enter code 796096. On October 2, the Louisville East Lions Club will hold its chili supper at St. Leonard's Church in Louisville. For more information, contact Debbie Detheridge at 502-895-5895. On October 2, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will hold its next Friday event from 3.30 to 10 p.m. at the 
United Crescent Hill Ministries. On October 4, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will have its committee meetings on the conference line. Advocacy will meet at 7 p.m., Education and Technology at 8, and Activities at 9. October 7 is the KCBPR Membership Committee meeting, 8 p.m. on the conference line. October 8 to 10 is the 147th Annual Meeting of the American Printing House for the Blind. It will be at the Downtown Hyatt Regency Hotel in Louisville. For more information, contact Janie Blome at 800-223-1839, extension 367, or email her at jblome at aph.org. October 8, the Northern Kentucky Council of the Blind will hold its next conference call meeting at 7 p.m. The number is 605-475-4700, enter code 155619. October 9, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will have its next Friday event at United Crescent Hill Ministries, 3.30 to 10 p.m. October 10, the GLCB Board will meet at 11 on the conference line. On October 12, the Kentucky School for the Blind Advisory Board will meet from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. at the Kentucky School for the Blind, 1867 Frankfort Avenue in Louisville. Call 502-897-1583 for details. On October 12, the Bluegrass Council of the Blind will have its community outing from 5 to 6.30 p.m. at the Arboretum, 500 Alumni Drive in Lexington. On October 15, the Eye-Opening Symposium will be held from 9 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. at the Fayette County Extension Office, 1140 Red Mile Place in Lexington. Call Bluegrass Council for details. Also on October 15, White Cane Day will be celebrated in Louisville at 4th Street Live, 11.30 a.m. to 1 p.m. October 17, you're invited to Carol Ann's Carousel from 9.30 a.m. to 11 a.m. This is an opportunity for visually impaired guests to explore the animal characters while the carousel is stationary. Sighted volunteer assistance as needed. It's at Smale Riverfront Park in Cincinnati. Call 859-547-5565 and leave your name and phone number. You'll receive a return call to reserve reservations. Reservations are necessary for this event. On October 20, the Support Alliance for the Visually Impaired will hold its monthly meeting from 1 to 3 p.m. They will celebrate White Cane Day and the meeting will be in downtown Owensboro. For more information, call Rick Bogus at 270-684-4418 or Bill Roberts at 270-485-8170. On October 21, the Charles McDowell Rehabilitation Center will have its third annual open house from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. There will be product demonstrations, tours, information sharing, refreshments, and more at the McDowell Center on Westport Road in Louisville. On October 24, there will be a Halloween masks workshop from 10.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. You can use tactile materials to make scary or friendly masks and headdresses. 
Registration is required, and this is appropriate for ages 5 and up. It's at the American Printing House for the Blind Museum, 1839 Frankfurt Avenue in Louisville. Call 502-899-2213 to make reservations or email Katie Carpenter at kcarpenter, C-A-R-P-E-N-T-E-R, at aph.org. On October 28th, the Bluegrass Council will have its open house and 40th anniversary celebration. From 12 noon to 6 p.m., lunch from 12 to 1, at the BCB office and community room in Lexington. On November 13 and 14, the Kentucky Council of the Blind invites you to our annual state convention at the Ramada Inn North in Louisville, 1041 Zorn Avenue. There will be workshops, programs, exhibits, food, and friends. We'll be celebrating 50 golden years since we received our charter in 1965. For more information, call KCB at 502-895-4598. Room rates at the Ramada are $75 per person plus tax. You can make reservations by calling 502-897-5101 and mentioning the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Also on November 13 and 14, the annual family conference will be held at the Kentucky School for the Blind This year, it's sponsored by KSB and the Visually Impaired Preschool Services. It will be on the KSB campus. For more information, contact Martha Hack at VIPS by calling 502-498-2926. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Sound Prints. Have a great week, everybody.